Good morning. Let's pray. Holy Father, be with us this morning. Be with us in this moment. Be with us as we talk about consequences. Uh, Lord, we love you and we know that you love us, even in the moments when we forget. Um, Remind us of your abundant love. Be gracious with me today. Uh, Dear Lord, control my thoughts and my words. We lift this up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the very early verses of this passage, a child um, dies. And it's very clear that the child dies as a result of David's sin. Um, And that can be really rough to hear uh, for many of us in the room who are parents. Um, And I need to look no further than my own story um, to understand how painful the loss of a child can be. Uh, it doesn't matter at what stage that loss happened. It doesn't matter how that loss happened. Um, it's painful. And I don't really care. I don't think it matters how mature we are. I don't think that any of us can occur or experience that type of loss and not begin to question God in those moments. Um, For my family, it was not a one-time occurrence. Uh, It was multiple times over the course of the first few years of um, our marriage. And I'll be honest, I started questioning whether or not God was punishing me for some wrong that I had done. I was kind of looking back over my life and saying, well, maybe it was this or maybe it was this. Maybe I didn't deserve um, to have this blessing. I started feeling like maybe God was punishing me for some un- uh, repented sin that I had. And I wonder if many of us in those moments have felt that same way too. Um, God, was it something that I did? Maybe, you know, did I, did I deserve this? And then in those moments, God reminded me, um, of John 13. And in John 13, verse one, two, three, you hear, uh, the story of a blind man that God is about to heal. And his disciples are like, yo, Jesus, is he blind because of something that his parents did or some sin that he had? And he said, no, uh, this happened just so the glory of God can be shown. The reality for me in those painful moments, and I hope for you, if you have experienced that type of loss, um, and in those moments you start to question whether or not God loves you, whether or not he's there, whether or not this was the result of something that you had done, um, That the Holy Spirit reminded you that the God that we serve doesn't operate like that. That the loss that you experienced was not some cosmic balancing of the scales. That this was not some punishment. Um, That unfortunately and painfully, sometimes things happen. Things happen that we don't understand. They happen for reasons that we don't know Um, but that God is not somehow making us pay for sins. That in this particular case, in this particular story, God was dealing with David. And there's some lessons that we can learn from it. But the lesson that I don't want you to take away this morning is to overconnect your loss to this loss. 
Amen. You know, one of the things that I think we need to do as a as a as a culture and as a people is redefine how we talk about the word consequence. Uh, we need to reshape how we think about consequence because oftentimes the way that we use the word, and I know that I'm guilty of this as a parent, I kind of always use the words in connection or conjunction to some type of negative um, thing. You know, there's consequences for not cleaning your room. There's consequences for not doing the dishes. There's consequences for this. There's consequences for that. And I think because of the way that we use it, more often than not, we have overly connected the word consequence or the idea of consequence to negativity when really the consequences are just the results of actions. So consequences can also be positive. And the reality of the fact is, is that everything that we do, every step that we make, every decision that we make will yield some type of consequence. Kind of like this morning when I went to get dressed for church and I picked out the shirt that I wanted to wear. And as I started buttoning it up, it was a little too tight. And I wanted to blame the cleaners because, <laughs> you know, they shrink stuff. You really just pay them to iron and shrink. But the reality is it was probably the consequence or the result of that box of Susie Q's that I keep in the cabinet that I eat just one a day or the multiple Red Bulls I drink every day or the vast amount of sugar. I mean, again, so those are the results, right? So consequences are just natural uh, responses to actions that we take. Consequences aren't always bad. And so as we talk a little bit more about David today, as we see some of the consequences or the results of not just the things that he had done leading up to this part of the chapter, but also what he did as a result, we see some things happening. And there's a lot of stuff, I think, happening even um, in the first uh verse that we want to look at today. So if we look at chapter 12, verse 15, it says, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Verse 16, I think, is so packed with so many different things. It says, first, it says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. One of the things that I think we start to see is this. The first thing is, you ever notice that we spend more energy trying to avoid consequences than we do avoid the sin? That, that we put more energy into trying to fix the stuff than we mess up than we do not messing up in the first place? If I look back over my life, I think about if I just actually put more time in, like when I was in undergrad, like studying for my tests, as opposed to like setting up meetings with my professors, asking for extra credit. So now I had extra work to do on top of the work that I needed to do to stay afloat. You see where I'm going? Like I, we spend so much energy trying to rectify 
our mistakes. I wonder what the outcome would have been, what chapter 12 would have read like if David, when he was walking around on the roof that afternoon, when he should have been at war, when he, when he saw beautiful Bathsheba from the distance, instead of going through uh, all the things that he went through to get her to come uh, hang out with him, do some Netflix and chill um, in the castle, he prayed and fasted and asked the Lord to help him control what was happening inside of him. Maybe if he had done that fasting beforehand, this story would read very differently. But we see um, in verse 16, David, like many of us, does a lot of the work on the back end. I wonder if one of the things that we can learn from this is just how to be proactive with our approach. But we see David, he was, he was hoping that God would show him grace. He partook in what was the typical ritual of mourning. He slept on the floor and he refused to eat. And ironically, it was pretty similar to what Uriah was doing when he had called Uriah back from war. That in the same way, Uriah was denying himself food at the king's table and refusing to sleep in his bed, and he slept down with the other guards. David now found himself in a very similar situation because he was pleading with God for something. The one thing that we realize is that David understood that God was a gracious God. And that if he pleaded with God, there was always this possibility that even though Nathan had already told him that the child wasn't going to live, that God would be gracious and show mercy. And maybe, just maybe, there was this chance that the child would live. Brothers and sisters, one of the things that I think we see is this move from repenting to relenting. See, David was in this process mourning and in a sense repenting from his sin, but we see in the progression of the chapter that he began to seek God proactively. One of the signs that we are becoming more spiritually mature is that we will find ourselves moving out of patterns of repentance and constantly asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over again and beginning to relent of our desires in a way that help us avoid some of the same mistakes that we always make. I tell my daughter all the time that sorry doesn't mean as much when you're apologizing for the same thing over and over and over again. One time, two times, three times is a mistake. And when you got teenagers, you have to be a lot more gracious. And so maybe 50 times, 60 times, 70 times is more realistic. But somewhere around the 100th apology for like the same thing, you start to say, well, maybe this isn't sincere. And so we see that David calling on God to uh, forgive him for what he had done, but also to spare his child was showing this sense of spiritual maturity because for the first time in a long time, we see that David is starting to, through his actions, acknowledge some of God's characteristics. 
Because prior to this, David hadn't really been showing through how he was living that he understood who God was. And the, and, and the first sign in the text that David was starting to become a little bit more healthy was this realization that God is a gracious God. Brothers, this is for us. Part of our own struggle to spiritual health is getting back to the place that we were when we first were drawn to God in the beginning. The church that I grew up in, we had this tradition of uh, they, they will open so the church is what they call it, and they will play this soft, somber music, and then you would kind of just like stand there, as my, like my dad would say, like, hey, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart as Lord and Savior, now is the time to do it. And people would come weeping for it. And I remember the day that I came forward, I came forward because I had this problem with my mouth that I used French words that I weren't supposed to use. And I thought, well, maybe if I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart, because I know that he could make bad people better, that he would make me better. And I knew in that moment that I was imperfect and I needed help and that Jesus would help me. But somewhere along the way in my life, after that moment, when I started going through stuff, when I started making mistakes, I started to forget about the Jesus Christ that called me forward that day when I was 10 years old. And brothers and sisters, many of us find ourselves in patterns and rhythms of life that we do the same thing. And in the midst of all of the mistakes and all of the sin and all the things that we do, we forget about the Jesus Christ who, who, who we felt in our hearts so strongly that we were willing to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And maybe the season only lasts for a year or a couple of days or a couple of moments, but there needs to be a return. And part of spiritual health for us is recognizing that moment when we realize, you know what, for a second I forgot who God was. For a second I forgot what Jesus has done for me. For a second I forgot the reason why I gave my life to the Lord at all, but I remember. I remember who he is. I remember what he can do. And even though I messed up, my God is gracious. My God is caring. My God loves me. And maybe, just maybe, things don't have to end the way that they look like. And so David was showing some signs of a turn and a turn back to who he had been because he was starting to show not just himself, but the people around him who were watching this, who were watching this, this, this king lay on his face, sleep on the floor, refuse to eat. They were watching this and wondering what was going on because they knew that he knew that Nathan had told him that the child was going to die, but he was begging and pleading anyway. But it was because in the midst of every David was getting better because he remembered that God was gracious. That sign of health for us as we go through our turmoil is remembering that God is gracious. Despite our worst moments and worst decisions, that God is gracious and his love is there. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. Excuse me. The next thing we see is this. Read verse 16 again. It's so much in verse 16 alone. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fastened and went in and laid all night on the ground. I think the next thing that we see that was such a positive uh, example of David's turn. It says that David went in and fasted all night on behalf of the child. 
See, everything that he had done from the beginning of chapter 12 was selfishly motivated. It was selfish when he saw Bathsheba and decided that he wanted her and he started to pursue her. It was selfish when he created the whole cover-up plot to cover up the fact that he had pursued her and Netflix and chilled with her and then wants to cover up the results of that. It was selfish when that part of the plan didn't work, so he decided to enact another plot of murder. And it was selfishly motivated when he married Bathsheba and brought her into the house to finalize this plan. But now we see David fasting and praying. He's not fasting and praying to to cover up the cover-up. He's fasting and praying because he wants this child to live. A sign of David's maturity was that he was no longer just thinking about himself, but he was thinking about someone else. One of the things that, that, that points to our health and our growth is when we realize that our actions don't just affect us. When we realize that everything we do has an effect on the people around us, and part of health comes from recognizing, wait a minute, I, I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not, a, so one, I'm not going through this alone because Jesus is with me, but two, I'm not alone because I have family and I have friends and I have people who my actions affect. So I can't, I, I can't just do what I want to do and expect that it won't affect the people around me. And so what David was realizing, he was no longer just going after his own motivations for self, but he started to pray and, 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 and fast on behalf of somebody else. And once we realize that we are much more likely to act on behalf of others than we are to be selfishly motivated. The, the, the moment that you realize that your actions affect other folks and you care, it changes how you move. Marriage did that for me. Some of you might have got that lesson sooner. But it took me a long time. And I didn't get married until I was 30. So I had a whole lot of years of being selfish. And then I got married. And it was, it was like that, that first time that that check came home. <laughs> that first paycheck. <laughs> and, I, and, I could, and, I, and I had to say, oh, hey, what, 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 what do we need to do with this? <laughs> like when my grocery trip wasn't just like a box of cereal, some milk, a bunch of Red Bull, and like some rice. Because <laughs> that was pretty much all I ate when I was in seminary. But when I had to start thinking, like, oh, well, there's a five-year-old kid in the house. There's a whole other adult human being who has it. And, and then, you know, you, you have to argue about, like, what type of milk. Because I want 2%. She wants whole milk, right? But you start realizing that, like, man, everything. So if, so if I go out and I take my, my earnings... And I just go shopping or hanging out with my buddies and paying for dinner for everybody else, trying to like splurge. It affects my household. So not just like real life maturity, but from a spiritual standpoint, when we realize that everything that we do, because we are connected to other folks, it affects everything around us. And even from a church standpoint, we, we are not in this faith walk alone. 
So we all bring our stuff, our gifts, our baggage, our experiences to this church community. And that when one person in the body hurts, we should all hurt. We, we should care when somebody is going through something. And even think about how our actions and attitudes and beliefs affect the community of believers. We are not alone. David had this drastic turn because one, he was, he was beginning to recognize who, who God was. But he was also beginning to think beyond himself for the first time in a long time. And the sign that we are maturing is when we start to think about the fact that we are not alone. That there's no thing that we do or say that doesn't affect somebody else. The next thing is this. Back to 16. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of, da- and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. So you already saw that the people around him were afraid. I mean, if David murdered somebody to cover it up in an affair, I think it's fair that the elders and the people in this house were like, oh man, if this child dies, what is he going to do? So on the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, behold, while the child was yet alive. Right. So, but when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said he is dead. Interesting thing that I found out about this part is that there is, there is no Hebrew equivalent for the word yes. So when he asked if the child was dead, there was no words to like be a buffer. So it wasn't yes the child is dead. It, it, it more accurately reads dead. It was a pretty poignant response. David said, is the child dead? And the response was just dead. Sometimes we get hit with stuff like there's no buffers. There's no, no way to soften the blow. We just get hit with the news. So it says, then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept for it. I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? So go to him, but he will not return to me. We see in this section that, that, that David simultaneously recognizes the limits of his own power and the limitless power of God. He recognizes that there is nothing more that he can do. 
that he, he embarked on this part. He embarked on the fast and the morning and the praying because he knew that ultimately God could do whatever he wanted to do. But he also recognized that nothing that he could do, nothing within his own human power could change the outcome. David realized that the outcome for his child was God's will for that particular child at that particular moment. What David may have not realized that he was doing was showing the rest of us as onlookers an example of the great faith in response to this huge disappointment. He was given an example of how we can respond when it feels like our prayers aren't being heard or answered. He, for the first time in a while, was exhibiting the characteristics that God, that, that, that made God choose him as king. Because when he realized that the child died, he, he didn't curse God. When he realized that the child passed, he didn't give up on his beliefs in God. He didn't throw away the crown. He didn't give up on being king. He didn't go into a rage like his council and elders feared. We saw what he did. We saw that, that, that he mourned. He, he worked through it. He, he accepted the outcome and he began to do things to help him get healthy and regain strength. I think that we can take this as a good example of how we deal with grief. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, we need to grieve and we all grieve in our own way and our own time. Grieving for you may be a year or two years or three years. David had this seven day period of grief. But the reality is no matter how long you grieve, when you grieve, is that we must not grieve as people who don't have hope. We must not grieve as people who don't have a God that cares for us and the Savior who loves us and died on the cross for us. We saw what David did. He, he grieved, he mourned, he cried, he prayed, he fasted, then he got up. He, 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 he washed himself off. He, he ate so, so he could restore his health and restore his energy so he could go on being king. Brothers and sisters, one of the signs of emotional health and spiritual health is that when we go through stuff, we don't let the stuff take us out. Because we know that God is with us every step of the way. And so the problems that we go through do not come to end us. They don't come to destroy us. They come so that God can get the glory out of our lives. So when we mourn, when we cry, when we pray, when we fast, we get up, we clean up, we eat up, and we live. That's what God wants for us. To not let our mistakes and our problems define us so much that we hide in the corner for the rest of our lives. But no, we see that David accepted his mistake and he moved on. He didn't move on in a way to act like nothing happened. He moved on in a way that said, yes, I messed up, but that's not the end of my story. Yes, I'm hurt. Yes, I cried. Yes, there was pain, but that's not the end. Brothers and sisters, your pain is not the end. Your mistakes are not the end. The worst thing that has ever happened to you is not your end. God wants you to feel it, but you can live through it because he's with you every step of the way. The most important thing for us to realize is this, that the presence of consequences is not the absence 
of God's love. The presence of pain is not the absence of forgiveness. The experiences of pain are not the end. I think there's something to say amen about. Can we just say amen? Can we, can we just give God some collective praise for the fact that our stories don't end in our pain? David did something that we all must do. Recognize where our power ends and where God's begin. One of the most important things that a mature Christian can do is submit their will to his. Let's pray. God, this thing called life can be tough. And we can have moments that just knock us down. But dear Lord, we know because of your son, Jesus Christ, because of your forgiveness and your grace, we may be knocked down. We're not knocked out. Dear Lord, so thank you. Because of your son, Jesus Christ, even when we fall, we can get back up. Your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.